0: Flat out RC time. Welcome back to the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. My name is Andrew Sild, coming to you from the land down under, Melbourne, Australia. You might probably wonder why I keep on saying I'm from the land down under. That's because we have a lot of listeners who are outside of Australia. So uh, welcome to everybody, uh, whether you're local or international. Good episode this week. Uh, we are going to the center of Australia to a, a a town called Alice Springs, and a gentleman by the name of Dave Goods will be joining us. And I'll tell you what. Stay tuned. His story is an interesting one. Uh, talk a talk a bit about jet flying, flying in Alice Springs. What it's like in the center of Australia, surrounded by desert. Uh, so stay tuned for David, but before we get to that, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. What has been on my mind? Not a lot. We're running down to Christmas, and so I'll give you an update of what we're doing with Flat Out RC Podcast. Uh, we've got this episode, and then we've got next week's episode. Will be our final episode for the year. Special guest, a return guest a popular guest, will be back next week. Uh, But that'll be the last episode of the podcast for the year because I'm going to take a break. I always like to take a break. Uh, And normally I'll take all of January off. We'll come back in February. I'll plan a whole bunch of um, podcasts during January and some content and uh, get that happening. But why am I taking a break? Because I want to go flying. I want to clear my head. I want to plan... Podcast episodes, upcoming podcast episodes. Oh, I've been saying how hard it's been to try to get guests, but I still like the idea of having guests. So we'll continue to, to find that. Um, still committed to the weekly podcast thing, which can be challenging at times, but um, I do enjoy the pod, doing, producing the podcast. So keep on doing that as long as I've got the bandwidth to do that. My work's been really busy. Trying to squeeze everything in is always a challenge, especially this time of year. That Christmas day down here in Australia, it's probably similar in other countries that celebrate Christmas. It's like this deadline date where things need to be done. And uh, uh, we power on till then and then switch off. And here in Australia, I always say we switch off. To probably about March, really. People will go on holidays. They'll come back. They'll have a hangover from the holidays. Really won't do much work. February, you start thinking about it. March will probably start working. Um, that's not every industry. It's just some of the industries that I've been involved in I've noticed that so but I've been plenty plenty busy which is good can't complain um so at this time of year sort of I start to reflect on the year that was and and where to uh for for um the hobby for the you know flat out RC etc uh interesting to see MWA uh our flying association down here has um conducted a a member survey if you haven't filled it out if it's still running by the time this goes live then get on board and it should be actually uh get on board and uh, complete that survey if it's been sent to you If an MAAA member you should have got it in your in your email box fill it out because I know that the MAAA is doing a lot of thinking and strategic planning as to what the future looks like and we know that the future is going to be different to what we see today uh purely because of the reduction in numbers in the hobby that we have an ageing demographic and I hate to break the news, but we all die. And uh, as the next generation passes on, the generations backing up uh, are are dwindling away. And so organisations need to adapt to Fewer people because there's nothing on the horizon that's going to change the numbers, and, and we always talk about growing participation in the hobby, but it's a very, very challenging uh, task. It involves a lot of people working in the same direction, and that's the biggest, biggest challenge I find. Is there's certain pockets of people that try to push, push, you know, or encourage new participation, but then, you know, I can rattle off flying clubs that I've been to that aren't interested at all. They uh, they're living for the now and. I'm a 48-year-old man that can't wait to be retired and go to a flying club and, and socialise and fly my planes. And uh, I've got probably 20 years of work left, I reckon, and I hope that there's a place for me to go. I've talked, talked about that a bit over the years, about how I don't mind helping to make a difference so that when I retire, I can continue my aeromodelling journey. And uh, I love talking to the retirees. They give me inspiration to keep on plugging on and uh make sure that I can uh, get to that point where I can retire and, and, and play around with my model airplanes. which I can't wait to do. So that's looking way, way into the distance. Uh, with the podcast, it's always you know tricky. I want to keep on going, as, I, as I've mentioned. And uh, podcasts are a funny thing. There's a certain demographic, which is actually not the core demographic that, that is involved in aeromodelling. We know that the aeromodelling demographic is ageing, as I mentioned. Uh, and we're talking about, you know, people aged 65 years and up is probably the the, the mainstay of, of the hobby and, and well done to them. Uh, but most of the people I think that listen to this podcast are a younger demographic, probably anything from sort of, well, I know, you know we've got people like Brad Worm, the 16 year old, all the way up to some more senior people, but a lot of older people aren't aren't podcast savvy you know my my parents always ask me now how can i watch that podcast i mean it's it's like a radio show and you don't watch it now how can i access it um so uh and and, you know realistically podcasts are pretty easy to access most devices have sort of a podcast platform and countless different uh apps spotify and soundcloud and apple Podcasts. we've got an apple phone and google 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 Podcasts or something i think it's called but um flat out on all that so um Hoping to grow it. The numbers have been growing, and I'll talk about this next week a bit. We normally do our yearly wrap-up of, you know, top 10 most listened to podcasts. So I'll cover that off next week. But uh, numbers have increased, and that's what happens just by hanging around. You, you get gradually the word spread. For anybody that uh, is upset that I might be taking January off, which nobody should be, uh, plenty of podcasts to listen to to go back into the library now, Um Probably have, what, 84, 85 maybe by Christmas. Can't remember what number we're up to. So doing a lot of planning, doing a bit of thinking about uh, what kind of content to produce. What I hope to do next year is uh, more video work. Um, you know, I want to get back to events. Uh, this COVID thing has really knocked us around. And um, I suggest don't look backwards too much over the past two years because it's a depressing thing. Let's look forward, and forward means... Events are going to happen. We'll be back in the fields with our mates, um, enjoying the hobby that we love. So there's plenty and plenty to look forward to. Uh, do I want any more model aeroplanes or interested in purchasing any more model aeroplanes? No, not at all. Not interested. I've got enough. I just want to fly the ones that I've got. Can't wait to get to the Wang Jets event. Um, fly my turbine jet again. Uh, get my aerobatic planes up there. Improve the skills. Get back on the sim with the buddies. Uh, been neglecting that a bit, but always looking ahead and trying to, Get better at what I do. Find some new 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 guests. Keep the podcast going. Add some video content in there. Keep on mixing it up. Wonder what your plans are. If you've got any uh, suggestions as to what I should be doing, happy to hear from you. I don't know everything, uh, and so just flick me a message. Get on to Facebook FlatoutRC. Send me a message if you like. Get on the FlatoutRC.com.au website. Send me a message. You know how to find me. Guest time, my favourite part of the podcast, as I always say, because it is. I love the interview side of things, get to meet some new people. And this week, there is a new person, someone that I've never met before. It was a, a, a referral from my good mate up in Darwin, uh, Ray Younger. Um, I said, Ray, got any suggestions for a guest? And he says, Dave Goods from Alice Springs. I said, sounds good. Have a look at Dave. You know, I connected with Dave on Facebook sent him a request, come on, and here he is. He will be joining us. And uh, Dave's backstory, originally from Melbourne, um, became an air traffic controller, moved to Alice Springs, been posted to a few different places, including Broome, but now in Alice Springs, has immersed himself in the model flying scene there. Uh, Let's just say he's into jets, um, and you'll find that out. But uh, always love talking to people from different parts and walks of life here in Australia. Can anyone hear my son yelling in the background playing computer games? He's yelling and screaming. I don't know. How can he be having fun when yelling and screaming like that? Anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, yeah, so Dave's really into the jet scene um, and really big into helping other people as well, as you will find out. So, over to my chat with the man from the middle of Australia, from Central Australia, Alice Springs, Dave Goods. Well, we are going to the centre of Australia this week with a special guest, Dave Goods. Dave, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Andrew. Now,
1: you're sitting, where are you sitting at the moment? Uh, in my house, in, in the air conditioning, because it's 40 degrees outside at the moment, not very pleasant. Yeah. Um, but uh, I have been in the shed doing a few aeromodelling bits and pieces, but it just started to get a bit bit too hot. So come into uh, the air con to talk to you. Yeah, well, we have a lot to talk about. You're based in Alice
0: Springs, which is, uh, as I said, in the centre of Australia. And, uh, and I really wanted to find out more about what the flying scene's like in Alice Springs, and I know you get these, Variations in in weather, but we'll, we'll get to that. But before we do, the most logical question for me to ask is
1: How did you get
0: involved in this wonderful world of aeromodelling?
1: Um, I think it really stems back to being a kid and being carted around a lot by my parents past the model aeroplane field. Uh, back in the day, it was the old, I think it was called the Marks Club, which um, was sort of at the back of in Victoria at the back of Laverton type area, and I just remember. I remember we must have had some reason to go that way as a, as a, well, for my parents and just, just seeing the airplanes out of the window and just being in awe of them and um, always had a bit of a soft spot. And then, um, and then one day I finally convinced for my 13th birthday, my parents to, to buy me a, an airplane. And um, they bought me a, a pilot models um, ARF, which was the latest and greatest back then with a high tech uh, four channel AM radio and a Bluebird 25 motor. And, um, and, that, and that's where it began. It, it didn't go very well from that point, but uh, that, that was the starting point. Dave, so. Dave, it's not supposed to go well.
0: No. Look, now <laughs> Nowadays, is a different story. You know, you can get these foamies that will almost land themselves. Well, I've got a, I've got a model that will land itself, actually. It's got a GPS. That's in it right, yep. Me. But yep. Um, back in those days, well, give us a, the era. Give us a, a year that, that that sort of started.
1: Oh, all right. Well, I'm 48 now. And as I said, I was about 13, so 35 years ago. So uh, yeah, you know, around the mid 80s, I I would say, um, mid 80s. um, And I used to I was, yeah, as I said, I was 13 when I got that, and I was pretty lucky because my parents were very, very trusting, um, and they let me catch the uh, the train from Sunshine at that time where I was living as a kid, and uh, into the city. And I used to go to Hearn's Hobbies in in Melbourne there, and just, and just. Ogle and I'd spend a few hours doing doing the laps between Hearn's Hobbies and there used to be yeah, a yeah. Uh, hobby store up in Lonsdale Street that's or something right. like that. Yeah, um, That's where I actually got my my first airplane from and it was hanging from the roof and I pestered my parents so much. Um 800 bucks, I think it was back then uh, yeah. for the whole kit and caboodle, which, yeah, those days was a lot of money. Yeah, it was, um, it
0: was a lot. And You know, we're the same age and I remember Hearn's Hobbies, of course, which is still going, yep. uh, but... Yeah, doing the, 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 if you ever went to the city, you'd have to visit all the shops. And like you said, there was Lonsdale Street. There was two in Lonsdale Street, sort of one was more, had it, was bit better than the other. And then there was one in um, Swanson Street um, as well, above the um, thing. A mate of mine actually worked there part time as well, at one point in time. Oh, right. And so, yeah, you'd do this thing. And, and especially every time you went into Maya, the department store, and you knew that (laughs) Lonsdale Street, that, yep. I can't remember the name of it. I know they had a yellow sign at the front. And yeah, just yellow sign at the front. That's, yep. that's right. Yep.
1: Um, um, yeah, um, some, uh, yeah. Some, oh, I really can't remember the name of it. But yeah. Yeah, and then I used to catch the train as well out to um, Hawthorne Hobbies with, I oh, think yeah. it was the guy's name was
0: Cliff. Cliff or something
1: like that. Do you yep. know
0: what? I had dinner with Cliff last night. A bunch really? of us got together, and I had dinner with Cliff, and I see him around. Um, he's still going. Yep. He's, he's a great guy. Still good, hundred yep. percent. I'm going to get him on the podcast. We just got to work <laughs> out how to technically get him on. But uh yep. he's a he's a great guy. And um, I said to him the other, I was actually asked him last night, I said, when did you get the shop?" He said, "1982, he started, and he ran it for 25 years, and he loved it." He he said yep. he said to me, "I was very selective, um, with my customers. If they didn't if they didn't listen to me." And I didn't think that they were, you know, the right kind of clientele to have. I'd tell them that I'm sure there's another hobby shop that can that can deal with. I them.
1: remember, I remember that he, yeah, he could be some be really rude to some customers at times. Yes. I remember that. But and, do, uh, do you know what's funny? Because
0: I've known Cliff for a while now, and every time I've met him, he's as nice as pie. But people said, oh yeah, he used to be a little bit grumpy, you know. And he, yeah, said, as, yeah and yeah. as he said to me last night, oh, you know, well, yeah. I selected my customers, you know, because I didn't want and it was interesting, I didn't want I didn't want these people that just didn't get it because you just yep. get nowhere with them. He really wanted to work with people that he could, you know, develop them and support them effectively and they'd you know share his knowledge so
1: he's a yeah, he's a good guy so we will get yeah. on well back at that then I was just a young kid with some you know pocket money in my pocket so I was just just go there and ogle I think i I remember used to have like a, an albatross glider hanging from the roof at yeah. zero and all that sort of stuff but for me you know that that was well outside of anything I could do i um after my first airplane was destroyed within a matter of minutes um I went back to doing you know converting free flight models because as I said my parents were strangely trusting and there was an old bloke down the road who had a flat and i just saw some airplanes in his window once and knocked on the door as a as a, oh, as a as a 13 14 year old kid and and this guy i can't remember his name actually which is sad because we spent quite a bit of time together but he was in his late 70s his little uh, one bedroom unit was packed full of airplanes he smoked like w- one smoke would be going out the next one would be lit and he was doping models and you know he said he's been on fire two times in the time <laughs> i knew him falling asleep with a cigarette in his mouth and 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 you know he taught me he taught me to build back then um from from scratch and um i still ended up converting a lot of um free flight designs to two channel rc and just you know motor flat out let it go and off we went and and that's where it all began. And, and same thing, I, and I've got kids now, and I think, would I let them go around to some strange nah. old place? Probably not. No, not, but nah, the, not at the world's all nowadays.
0: That, that is true. But back then, it, it was different. You know, it was very, very different. And you know, I look back in that 80s period very fondly. That was, you know, we're, as I said, we're the same age. So, you know, yep. we know what it was like we're at school and things were, you know, things were happening in the 80s, you know, yeah. the music scene yep. and, but yeah, I, 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 as you talk about the hobby shops and the, what was, you know, the different places, I, all these vivid memories come back. So, but, and yeah, to, that first plane that you had, was it a trainer kind of plane or was it? It, it was,
1: it was a, it was a pilot, um, 25 size trainer and it didn't have, a, it was just a, a basic slab um, fuselage type design with a high wing trainer no canopy or anything like that and it was it was one of those pre-printed type ones with the foam had a foam covering with a contact type printing on the outside oh, really? and some plastic wing tips and yeah it was pretty flash for back then um you know and yeah learning the hard way of chopping your finger up a bunch of times trying to start it cuz i could never have a starter it was always finger start you know trying to work out how an engine ran for the first time and all those wonderful things. Um,
0: and let me guess, when you got that engine, you tried to start it in the backyard?
1: Nah, well, front, front porch of the house, um, yep, but pretty much the same thing, exactly. Holding onto the model with one hand and then trying to start it with the other. So all those to, wonderful you? things you learn until get
0: bitten. The temptation when you t- had one of those
1: motors is to just get it up and listen to it sing. Absolutely, absolutely and the smell the, you know the, i think i think for us that grew up in that you know really grew up in the glowfield days that that smell and all that sort of mm. stuff i you know i still it's a thing of the past really for certainly where i'm flying we've only got one guy in the club now that flies glow but every time he starts it up it just brings me back to those memories that i had back in in the early days of, of a, a teenager growing up around aeromodelling and um that wonderful smell of i think it you know castor and castor oil and that sort of stuff so yeah well it's interesting i was talking to cliff Cliff McIver last
0: night, and he's got yep. a great selection of um, old nitro engines, and he said, uh, you know, OS engines, he reckons aren't doing as well as what they used to. They, they could be in a little bit of trouble, which would be a,
1: yeah, right. a big which shame. But, um, yep.
0: you know, that, uh, so we had a bit of a chat about engines and stuff like that, but um, yeah, the smell of the nitro, that was just, yeah, just been absolutely fact. awesome. Good memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't had a nitro model for a while. Um, I had a, a 46 size thing, you know, engine, whatever, and and gee, that was good. The little OS 46 was a great engine. I could flick start it easily. Yeah. Um, are. But uh yeah, I was a bit worried about my fingers. But you know, you know, when you <laughs> when it cuts out on you and you're walking out to the strip and you go, oh, stuff it, I'll just put the the, the glow plug on and off we go. You know <laughs> flick, we, flick flick it again and off we go. That's uh, well right. apparently yep. Cliff used to just go and grab the the spinner and just flick it and bump it off the compression to start itself yeah. kind of thing. But uh <laughs> but um okay, so then
1: yeah, what well, why did it crash within minutes what did you do um we my dad and my dad took me out to that marks club and um we, you know not be, being totally green and my dad never was involved in error modeling so he was just sort of the 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 driver and the conduit and the funder um so he he took me out and we we asked somebody at the club to you know talk to somebody and would you mind test flying the dad, dad asked him would you mind test flying my son's airplane and yeah yeah no worries, mate And he grabbed the sticks and off she raced down the strip and he got her up and he did some loops and he did some rolls and then it crashed, um, about, uh, oh, probably about a kilometer away. Um, oh, no. just started doing something and he just handed the transmitter. I just remember, I remember that day vividly cause I just remember watching my, my dream go into the mm-hmm. ground so far away as a speck. And he just handed the transmitter back to, to me and just looked at my dad and said, sorry, mate, don't know what happened and just walked away and so my oh dad and i no. went traipsing through the prickles and the thorns um, those thorn bushes down there and um i think i think about four hours later we found it and sunburned and sort of we got back to the club and and everyone had sort of gone and left i think there was one person left there and and that was my first experience in real experience in error modeling um <laughs> that's not a good and one. i didn't i didn't join a club um until i came to Alice springs in 2003. Um, so yeah, self, self-taught after that, I went to fly with a Piper Cub in a paddock after, after the free flight stuff, um, with some simple, simple RC. Um, okay. Now that's, that's interesting. So tell me, I want to know about that progression because
0: you had a bad experience with the club, which is the Marks club was a very popular club back in its day. It's actually, it know, was, yes, it's no longer. They've, they've had to shut the field down. They had a, an incident. I could,
1: I, that's probably full of housing all around. There well, it's, days, it's
0: it? not housing. It's, um, the land where they are is sort of protected grassland. It's got some, I right. don't know, some special grasses or something. But there's just factories and, you know, warehouses and stuff that yep. butt right up onto the sort of the paddock. And basically, one too many planes went through somebody's roof. Uh, yep. People's roofs. And so they ended up having to sort of shut and they couldn't find any other land. So they're a bit in limbo. But um, I have been there a couple of times because I had friends that were members there. But... Um, Pretty bad experience if that happens. Um, maybe with your, your AM radio went off the air kind of
1: thing. But, um... Oh, who knows? Absolutely, who knows? It's one of those things that that um, exactly that could have been CB interference or anything back in those days was prevalent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, really don't know. But um, it, it just didn't – my dad was pretty cranky and um, I remember that. And um, I was pretty devastated. And, and, yeah, sort of that was the end of that. And I, I don't think they were really that interested in sort of funding another model and I, I can't blame them. Um, so as I said, I just sort of went down the, the path of retrofitting whatever I could with um, whatever I could find at the time, whether it was a diesel engine or, or whatever I could save up enough money for. So, Do you know what's amazing? That commitment that people have
0: after a bad start, that you must have had this deep interest in model planes for you to bounce back, find another avenue kind of thing, you know, spend the time to build models and whatever it didn't
1: it, it didn't, didn't put me off no, yeah that's right because
0: you know what, what yeah. it's like i know my my kids they have one bad experience well i'm not doing that again whereas same
1: same with mine i got three of three the same and exactly that yep yeah
0: yep. so i think oh, i don't know maybe it's a different
1: era. we didn't have the internet back then so we had to do something yeah correct correct and, and then yeah exactly and i i remember getting you know bollocked by my mum back in the day because as, a, as i said uh, those few years i just kept building in my room so i was always in trouble for sanding balsa wood in my room <laughs> and um you know and i remember my dad uh, dad worked i think i think he still worked for the bank at that point and i just remember my mum screaming and yelling my name because i'd use the i'd use their iron to do some solar filming back oh, in the day yeah. and um she ironed his white you know, white shirt, and it had all nice pink streaks stuck on it from from me solo filming the night before, um, which she didn't know because I'd pinched the iron and, and done it in the bedroom. So, um, yeah, I got a bollocking over that as well. So <laughs> you keep See, going. <laughs>
0: well, you know what, you tell your, tell your mum that, um, look, imagine if I was a kid That just stared at a computer screen
1: all day long, like nowadays. So, which one would you rather have? Yeah, Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, it all worked. It all worked out well. So, yeah, it's it's led me down this path of poverty ever since. So,
0: that's right. Well, but so (laughs) you went the free flight thing, and then you said you learned, you taught yourself on a Piper Cub. I'm interested to know when did you make that step? What drew that step to go back into you know a, a full up proper RC plane?
1: Yeah, I go um so I sort of I did it for a number of years till probably till I was probably about you know around that age I think sort of 17ish and then you know girls took a bit more of an interest than in model airplanes and um so airplanes went on the back burner it wasn't until uh and I gave it away from probably the age of about 17 to oh geez, I think I was about 23 gave it away for about 5 or 6 years there and um it was that I'd got my job I'd started working for ANSET. so I'm a aircraft engineer by trade, um, engine airframe, and and got an apprenticeship with ANSET, which was so yeah fantastic at the time, and that really got me back in aviation. And I remember talking, and I can't remember the guy's name, but there was a guy in on the hangar floor, and he used to fly ducted fan um, with Ramtech 91s and that sort of stuff, and he was a really really nice guy. And that David sort of my... No, no, um, it wasn't him, but um, he was such a really nice guy. It really sparked my interest. And I, I went into the city um, at about, yeah, about 20, 24 years old. It went into the city to the um, hobby shop um, that was on, oh, geez, not far from the um, station there, um, on Flint Swanson Street Station. Um, I think it's called Metro Hobbies or something like that or was a few years ago last time I visited. Uh, Went up there, bought a super flying or SF models at the time, Piper Cub, and bought a a, a OS-46 to put in it and uh, a radio at the time. Uh, And I can't even remember what the radio was, to be honest, but uh, we certainly hadn't moved to 2.4 at that point. Um, But it was, yeah, and and got, just put it all together. Um, And where I was living in Melton at that time, um, where I mostly grew up, there was all empty land across from our house um so i just learned to fly in a paddock i just went out there and thought i'll hope for the best and and see what happens and you know and, and having that stuff from years before I, I knew the basic controls you know up down left right and all that sort of stuff um so yeah had a ball just learning to fly again in a paddock how how were those first flights um n- nerve-wracking as they are um but but it wasn't too bad being a piper cub the next model after that was a a vmar PC9 that I bought um and that one was interesting cuz I hadn't flown low wing I hadn't flown any uh, and it, that's fairly docile by today's standards but back at the time it was it was a low wing it was fast it was all sorts of stuff and I remember the I remember taking off and I remember landing and I don't really remember much of the flight in between but I got it <laughs> up and got it down in one piece and scared the heck out of myself at the time um <laughs> and thought yeah we'll put that one away and then um Life progressed on, and and um, I changed careers. So um, and flying once again went on the back burner. So, well,
0: you know, you, you definitely so far. You you've followed the trajectory of a of a typical male. Uh, yeah. You know, this is actually a social study that I do with this podcast because I'm starting to see a trend, and that is right. uh, women come on the scene uh, and. Yep. Uh, men stop playing with their toys um, and we then do. We do. they settle down and then they get back in and start playing with their toys and then they, yep. their Correct. career takes off and then they stop and then their career settles down and they go, I'm bored, I need something, and I go back to aero modelling. Um, exactly. Yep,
1: that's that's my life and the same thing. Yep. It's, it's yep. very
0: rare. There are cases where people just kept on going all the way through and couldn't give up. Um, yep. The only question is, did you get into cars as well? Because that's just the just little clincher in the middle there. That uh, it's normally cars yeah. and girls. Yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I so
1: did cars. Yeah, uh, I'm, a, I'm a I'm I'm a mini fanatic. So oh uh, no, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So uh, pretty tragic. Um, I I still have one. Have uh, you? Yeah. Look, yeah. I, I I came. I was born
0: into an MG family. My first car <laughs> was an MGB, <laughs> okay. and my dad right. liked you know working on them and stuff like that. So we know what British cars are like you know I saw um a, a little mini, I don't know, it was an old Cooper or something for sale, sixty-five thousand dollars.
1: Oh yeah. When I when I think about what I've sold over the years, I've I've had a mini since since probably the age of eighteen and you know, had had a number of them and I think now back what I could have sold those cars for these days and you just think, wow, you know, but mm. who who would have known, you know? I know it's like everything nobody would so. have a mate of mine
0: had a um one of the um the station wagons like the, yep. the longer yep, the panel band the, yeah, yeah and he put the 1300 motor in it and Weber carby and all that kind of thing <laughs> yep. and yep um, i remember went to winton raceway with it and fanged it around the train he's a big boy too i don't know how it could fit in but oh,
1: he loved his mini absolutely yeah good cars name. good cars but yes you're right they so that has aeromodelling has taken a back seat to that over the years that's for sure
0: and now see you know as i do you know I joke about it being a social study but um, I- I'm involved in marketing and marketing to me is all about psychology and people and behaviour and all that kind of stuff. And uh, If anybody's out there trying to work out how to market aero modelers, just listen to a number of these podcasts and you'll, s- you'll get an understanding of the people. We're tinkerers, aren't we? There's a reason why we like yes. cars and play around with cars because when I mean cars as well, it's not just, oh, yeah, I like cars, it's, oh, no, I tinker with the cars as well. Or motorbikes yep. and stuff like that but uh yep. so you, you definitely fit into the, the the right
1: demographic for an aero modeler uh so well. yeah that's right and and i and hand on heart i am more of a builder than a flyer i i get great enjoyment from the, the engineering side and thinking out you know how what's the best way to do that and all that sort of stuff so um yep so well you are the tinkerer
0: now you said you changed <laughs> careers so that career change was still involved in
1: aviation wasn't it uh yeah yeah i became an air traffic controller So, um, I was, I was one of the lucky few. I, I left Ansett uh, three weeks before the collapse. Um, so, so I was, I was extremely fortunate to be one of the ones that, you know, I got paid out my leave and, and, and entitlement. So compared to all my friends, um, that, that went through some horrendous stuff, um, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed in that respect. So,
0: and so, um, so at that time you weren't flying models then it was on the back burner
1: yeah no it, it, as I said I'd, I'd had a bit of a dabble um settled down with with uh, the lady who's now my wife and, and mother of and my kids and and as I said got back in aeromodelling when everything was stable there and did it for a little bit but then um when I changed career to air traffic control that was everything was turned upside down that was one of the hardest hardest things I ever did that was a year year of um intense study and um exams to get through the course and uh error modeling absolutely went by, by the way yeah, so it's a um, tough
0: job you know you've got to have the right personality for that kind of job and skill set so yeah you you, you you don't want to muck around with uh
1: get distracted by some other interest really whilst you're learning the ropes that's right and and i think that for me when i say in a way i was blessed as well because i got the job at, at uh, air services and an air traffic controller purely out of out of a dare from someone else actually um, that that said uh, that was in the industry and said, oh, you'd never be able to do it. So I thought oh, I just went to work hmm. the next day and applied and what lo and behold got in and the rest is history. but I think the biggest thing for me was seeing that collapse at ansett I'd gone into air traffic control with the sort of with I guess in the back of my mind subconsciously thinking, well, if this doesn't work out, I'll just go back to fixing jets uh, for a living, I'll just go back to Anset. I loved my job at Antet. I loved the people I worked with. It was a great family based company in a way in, in terms of we we're all all felt like family and um and I just thought, well, I'll just go back to that. If this doesn't work out, we'll have a crack, see what see what happens. And then when that fell over, I had I was newly married, um, we'd got a house, um, so and there was a lot of responsibility to to um head down and bum up and and some as I said, best thing I ever did, and that was twenty years ago. I've just ticked over twenty years as an air traffic controller.
0: Well, we are going to talk a bit more about that because I'm interested to know a bit bit more about that. So, you did uh, you you went off, established a career as an air traffic controller. Yep. What brought you back into aero modelling?
1: Um, I got transferred from Melbourne to Perth to start my ATC career, and for my birthday, out of the blue, and I, I hadn't mentioned anything, my wife bought me a World Models 46 size Mustang um it's for for my birthday fault. present how good is she um, is, and look you can't complain now about models that you may own because no she that's started. right that's right she started it, re- reignited the flame so um yeah so she she bought me that for my birthday um and i i'd actually still had my piper cub that got packed in storage and went across to Perth yeah. with us um so i having got the mustang i i dusted off the piper cub and we went down to a club in perth um with the piper cub and talked tried to talk about you know joining up and getting involved back in it and once again i had a horrible experience with a club where everyone was really arrogant and um i just sort of turned around and said to my wife i don't think i want to be part of this and and um went home so didn't didn't do anything and didn't get involved in error modeling um i ended up stripping the um well not stripping but enhancing the world models piper cub with some solar film and Doing and doing a color scheme of a a full size Mustang that um, was one of my favorites, and uh, didn't fly it in Perth. I finished it in Perth, but we brought it to. I've got forced forced transfer to Alice Springs uh, in two thousand and three, and I lugged that those two models across the country with me, and um, and then yeah, got back into it when we came back to Alice Springs. Um, So and had its first flight here in Alice. There you go. So what year are we talking now? Where are we up to? it would be two thousand and four, I think, because my son was born a year to the day after we arrived in Alice, and mm-hmm. and it was just after he he was he was probably two or three months old when I took that Mustang out for its first flight, it had a Sato seventy two four stroke in it, and um and yeah, it, once again a big leap of faith to, to to do it, but um but it went well, and and yeah, the rest is history, and often running after that. Yeah. Now uh, you said that you joined. The first time you joined a club was when you are in Alice Springs. So
0: you get posted to Alice Springs. What led you to the club?
1: Um, Well, same thing. Took the Piper got told where the club was, took the Piper Cub out and they had a runway, a bitumen runway. And I'd never, I'd never land on a runway. I just landed into the wind as you do in a paddock. Um, and took it out there and asked the guys you know if if it was okay i was interested in joining the club had a bit of a chat to to one guy out there and he said yeah you can go fly and i'll come and stand next to you and um took off and flew around and tried to land on the runway a bunch of times and just couldn't find it i just kept kept going off the side and here at alice the ground is atrociously rough if you don't land on the runway it's like Mm -hmm. an aircraft carrier um and ended up ended up decking the piper cub in terms of of hitting a big clump of buffalo grass and ripping the gear off and and of course the peanut gallery behind me all burst into laughter and you know gave me a gave me a bit of a ribbon and um, I sort of thought uh, once again being a bit of a being a bit of a, a softy I sort of thought do I really want to be part of this and um and and yeah and then packing the airplane up. One of the guys just made a comment. I can't even remember who it was, but he was just a real smart aleck, and I just sort of thought, I don't want to be part of this, and um, walked away again. So third time unlucky. Uh. Um, and then I found out there was another club in Alice Springs, um, and went out to see those guys, and and complete opposite, absolutely nice as pie, very family orientated, and um, joined that club and was in it for six years and had had a had a ball and actually really learnt to. Learned to fly. Same thing, self-taught. In terms of, um, there weren't there were only a couple of guys in the club, and we were basically operating off a dirt, dirt strip with a bit of shade cloth behind us for a shade, and uh, not much else. Um, but very, very family orientated, and made my wife and son feel welcome, and 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 had a really good time. Um, and then it was one of his mates, one of the the president's mates, came up from Adelaide and sort of said. You need someone that can teach you what you, what to do things a bit better because you don't realise the mistakes you're making because by that stage I'd I'd progressed to flying aerobatics and and you know high, more high performance models and that sort of stuff and and he said yeah you really need to find someone um, that can do that so tail between my legs in a way I went back out to the the other club that I'm in now which is the one with the bitumen runway and the proper proper facilities and things and and all those guys that were there six or seven years earlier it all left um and the club was completely different so i rejoined and um and now I'm, i've been a member for that club for oh geez must have be must be about seven eight nine years now um and it's fantastic so um but it just really to me it really goes to show that that a couple of blokes uh can make or break a club um if you true. if you don't if you don't meet the right ones you know and yeah and uh and we've been very proactive as a club now to make sure that that you know when people turn up they're welcomed um even if they're just visitors to have a look that that don't actually have airplanes or anything um to make it a positive because certainly from my experiences i'm all about Got to turn this around and make it a positive experience for anybody that comes through the the gate. So, um and thankfully, we do that as a club these days, which is really good.
0: Well, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And you know, I've got I've got moan stories about clubs that have been members of, and and you know how unfriendly they can be, and how they can treat some visitors and things like that. And It's like it's just not worth it. And I know having no. spoken to Tim Nolan, the president of MAA, and it's one of their biggest concerns is that no matter what the associations try to do to improve um, the numbers of people modeling, if they go to the local club and have a bad experience, they're gone. You know, and They're not going to come back. That's no, right. And, and, and like yourself, you had bad experiences at a couple of clubs and uh, you had that passion that kept on get, driving you, but- um. Yeah, it's not that hard, is it, to really be welcoming to people? And I, I'm fortunate. That the club that I'm a member of, there's a whole heap of people that are willing to just jump in to help somebody if they need help. Um, you know, yep. some really great, great bunch of guys. But yeah, you don't find that
1: everywhere which is a no it's a bit of a shame but i think uh, you know being involved in a few different clubs over the time of different things you always get that mix of people you get the really helpful ones you get the ones that just want to come out and do their thing and not be bothered by anyone else and and then you get the ones that are just there because you know for for them it's a bit of entertainment pushing people's buttons i think and (laughs) you just think wow but anyway so yeah but uh Positive experiences these days, which is the main thing. So that is good. Now your flying's
0: progressed obviously a lot. So you've joined the club now at Ella Springs. You've um, you know you got the the Mustang, wasn't it that you're flying? Yep, had right. the Mustang? Yeah. Okay. And no doubt, because you are a typical aero modeller, you didn't say, "Oh, well, one's enough. That's okay. I won't get another model." Of course not. No. Of course not. No. Yeah. What other models did you did you pick up at
1: that point in time? Um. I think I just went through sort of a few sports models. I do remember having a um, back in the day an ES- ESM uh, Sukhoi SU twenty six or something like that, or thirty one or whatever it was, um, putting um, putting uh, you know decent sized motors in that. I think I had actually had a Super Tiger G twenty three with a OS carb on it to get it to run right, and a Perry pump and all the rest of the stuff, and dabbling in all that. And it was certainly bigger and bigger glow models. Um, got involved in eventually got involved in bigger and bigger warbirds and, um, and that sort of stuff. And, and, and really to me at the time, that was my passion was doing, was doing warbirds and bit of, bit of um, kit building, but also a bit of, you know, some top flight kits, but also a bit of ARF bashing as well. For me, for me, I'm a scaly. Um, I want my airplanes to sort of look as scale as possible. Um, So, so, a bit of kit bashing and all that sort of stuff was, was for me where it was at. Um, and yeah, and just, just progressed in that vein with the spot, with the, uh, scales type stuff, had one of those big egg huskies, um, that all stars did many, many years ago and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, had a ball doing that, um, used to drive down to shepherd and mammoth scale religiously, um, yeah. for, for a number of years would take the wife and, and the one son at that stage, and we we drive across to Shepparton and um, yeah, pit special and all so uh 50cc pit special and all that, which which got squashed at Shepparton one year by in the car park by a <laughs> oh, guy. Really? Um, yeah, oh really? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a whole nother story. But um, did he buy yeah, a new but, one? Uh, he gave me the money for the airframe, but it was a it was a bit of a process, and um, uh, yeah, basically ruined the whole weekend because. Yeah. It, it, there was no guarantees that that was going to happen so it was sort of the, in my mind the whole time and it's pretty annoying to drive 24 2400 k's to to get your airplane run over in the car park when it's under the door of your trailer Gee, um, you've so. had some bad luck at clubstone <laughs> <laughs> but it's all part of the adventure it's all part of the fun you know um,
0: well i always say you know, we're just creating memories and uh you've yeah got we're just exactly that so, well you're gonna have uh, another then, crack at the the shepherd and mammoth next year
1: hopefully it's going to be on and uh in yeah, well, hopefully, it, and and hopefully we can travel. The COVID, obviously, for everybody, has been an issue, but you know, certainly for me, crossing crossing through two different states yeah. um, can be problematic. Um, but yeah, and 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 really for me, uh, you know, I think it was at the Shepherd and Mammoth where I had my my um I had a uh, big ADCC um, was called Ultra RC at the time, but it basically it's been cloned these days to um, Looked like the top RC zero at the time, um, oh, yeah. flying an MVBS80CC engine, and and for me that's where everything changed in modeling when um, the Farnham family flew their flew their Panthers one ducted fan and one turbine, oh, no. um, oh, and no. that was that's where it all went downhill from there. That, this <laughs> so, is
0: you know what I say all roads lead to turbines at the moment. So yes. so I, I do know you as a jet guy because one of our mutual friends Ray Younger, I believe you. Helped him a bit with his jet. Um, his jet, which is now my jet, yes. Oh, his jet, which is now yours jet. Perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ray's, Ray's been on the podcast. He's a great guy, Ray. Um, right. Uh, so, turbines. You, you saw yes. some other people
1: and you got the bug and you thought to yourself, I have to have one of these.
0: Right. I did.
1: I stood there. I stood there and watched... watched um, i mike farnham fly the fly the pant i think i think he was the one flying the the turbine panther and it was the first time i'd seen a turbine model in in real life you know i'd certainly seen them on youtube and all that sort of stuff but um to to see it to smell it to hear it and as i said being a scaly guy um you know at that point i was mucking around with as i said with big warbirds but the running two-stroke engines and not sounding right despite how they looked and and um, you know, and I was writing a number of reviews at that stage for um Airborne magazine and doing some big warbird stuff and 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 just hearing that and smelling it, my brain went, That that's the ultimate realism for me. Um just just couldn't go past and I looked at my wife and you know, she gave me that look like probably most a lot of other aerodelists see, where she did, her eyes just said, Don't even think Forget about it. it. And um I can't stop I thinking think it,
0: about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And I think I was, I think I was 38 at that time. So 10 years ago, maybe nine yeah, 38, 39. And, and, uh, and I say, yeah, and I sort of worked on her all the way. Yeah. She had 2,400 K of sitting next to me in a car to, um, hear my complaints and reasons why I needed a turbine. And, um, and I, I just I do remember at one point saying, Well, you know, I'll be forty soon, so it's either a turbine or a divorce. You can you can choose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a
0: you're a nice guy, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. For <laughs> and, my fortieth um, I then, want freedom. That's what you're
1: saying. And it's that's right. And then and and she and and as I said, my wife was good. She she bought me that world models world models Mustang. And I and then a, a few years before that, she bought me my first um JR pc9x2 that was brand new on the market and because you know i was building warbirds as i said that i'd run out of channels on my six channel radio so and and you know and she that was that was another big moment for me in the whole modeling thing that that i got that for a birthday which which was awesome but yeah i said turbine or divorce you can choose and um (laughs) lo and behold um king tech k80 came my (laughs) way for, for my 40th actually i I think it was my 39th birthday because I said, "Oh, a year before, a year to spare. How good's that?" Yeah. Um, so um, yeah. So, so and that's where it began. So. And what was the first model? Uh, it was a, a Falcon One Twenty. Um, so so, basically, the conversation went. Um, I got I got uh, funding and planning approval from the Minister of War to mm-hmm. um, buy buy said turbine and i rang up i rang up pete agnew actually and at, when he was running in interco and i i spoke to pete and i was all set to buy a jetcat p80 and um i think i think they were about i don't know three grand or somewhere around then back then and at the time and um and it wasn't till the end i was all set to buy it i had my credit card in my hand with the numbers you know here's here's my debit card pete just just go for it and i, I said asked pete i said oh how how often does the service on, service on this? And he said, oh, every 25 hours. And I said, Goes back to Germany or done in Australia? No, back to Germany. he Goes. But most most newcomers don't actually make 24 hours, 25 hours before they bury it in a hole in the ground. Mm. And I it was that comment just off joke, a joking comment where I went that could be me i'm i'm doing this alone um there was no one else in the northern territory flying jets um this will be self-taught self-learned um that's probably realistically what's going to happen and i rang up uh ken mollison at the time and and you know and said what's a what's a 80 size turbine worth and it was a better grand cheaper at the time for a king tech because they were new on the scene and um and that's that's where i went and that that's where it began so i got a falcon 120 as i said and They were they were never built for turbine, Um, so you know the strengthening and talking to a few people over the internet and you know a few forums and fully sheeted the wings and glassed it and and um, extended the spar out a couple of couple of ribs and did all the did all the modifications, strapped the turbine to it and then sort of stood there looking at it, thinking, well, I've got to fly this at some point. Um, Off we go. So. But how did you
0: find that that first flight? You know, being having no one else around you that flew flew turbines at the club or whatever. What was it like?
1: Uh absolutely nerve wracking. Um so um I had um I had yeah, I was just thinking I had I had it on a day where there was no one out of the no one out of the club except another guy. Um, so that there were no distractions and all that sort of stuff. And um yeah, it took took this thing off and um i thought well i've been flying warbirds heavily loaded warbirds you know it's it's not too bad it's just learning this turbine lag and and drag curve for the turbines and and making sure i keep it within its limits and um yeah off i went but knees were shaking horrendously and um jitters and all that sort of stuff but but we got it round and got it round the circuit and um, and landed it and yeah, first successful jet flight and first. Uh, it wasn't the first jet flight in the territory actually. There was a guy in Darwin that had, had done a couple on a similarly on a Falcon One Twenty. Um, and um, yeah, it was. But uh, for me, it was the, a big monumental day and a day that that changed everything because now pretty much exclusively I fly turbines. So. Oh no. Now okay. Yeah. Let's let's go through the hangar. What does it currently look like? Um, it's, it's, it's all right. I have, I have more, like, probably like most of your listeners, I have more models in boxes than I have serviceable flying machines. Um, so, but I'm, I'm currently flying a, uh, a MB339, which is, uh, Dragon RC models. I'm not sure who it's made by, um distributed by a number of different companies or different shops around the world um but jm jmb jets or something like that's a, a name that i have seen and all stars are selling them um so it's a little i think about an 1800 mil wingspan 100 newton top size turbine um mb339 and as i said that was ray's model that that i built for him and he decided no thank you um after a few flights but um that i've got a Krill of anti, um that I'm flying at the moment. Um, I've got a couple of, uh, well, I've got a, a Eurofighter in a box. I've got uh, Phil Salima's A10 Skymaster A10, oh. small one that um, that it, I ripped the gear out of on the first flight because I left the edge of the runway and um, took the took the wheels out. So that's still a work in progress. It has been for about eighteen months, but too many jobs on the go. Um, oh, geez. Um, there's a few. There's a, there's a few got a car Viper to do. I've got a Skymaster MB339 that I picked up off a guy built nearly oh, about 10 or 12 years ago. Never flown that um, I'm in the process of gutting and, and restarting again. Um, so got a little Harlock RC Viper with a um, Zykoi X45 in it. Um, Mini Avanti with a Zykoi X45. Um, I like my Avantis. They're a very nice <laughs> yeah, flying airframe uh, mm-hmm. platform um got a cnc models mb346 um same as mr tims has um yeah a few and, a, and another one on the water at the moment so uh well hopefully on the what's water what's coming uh, there well it's a it's an elite aerosports Picaro. um my understanding oh. is it'll be the first one in australia but i actually won it in a raffle oh really so, what raffle yeah is that? yeah um Top top gun in, in the US, obviously, yes. you know, some of your listeners would know about that. Um yeah. they they run a raffle. Um and I've I've entered it previously and you know, and um this year um it popped up on Facebook as as it does and I thought my wife had sort of um lost her job and a few things and I thought I thought, ah oh, I, I can't can't really justify that at this point. Um and even though, you know, it's not a lot of money, it was a hundred dollars US for the ticket um and as i said i had been a supporter before and bought a few tickets over the years and um i ignored it and it popped up two days later saying you know oh, about to close the entries and i thought oh, oh i'll have a crack at this so i literally bought one ticket and um and lo and behold two i think it was about six weeks later i got a a, a message one messenger one morning and um saying, did you enter the Top Gun raffle by chance? And I said, yeah, I did. And he said, you're yeah, the second ticket to be pulled out, you get the choice of whatever you want from the prize package. And I thought, oh, at the time, I thought, oh, that's a bit annoying, because I remember the top prize was a calf warbird of your choice with some set of Sierra retracts and a power box voucher and all this sort of stuff. And I thought, damn it, I really, you know, that was all I wanted. And i And all I could else could remember from the raffle was a airbrush transmitter case. And I thought, I bet you I won the transmitter case, but yeah, it's better than nothing, but all jokes aside. And, um, and the guy said, I see you're into jets. You might be interested in a jet package. And I said, what jet package? And yeah, all started to get, you know, those butterflies and excited and looked on the internet. And it was a elite aerosports, Picaro with a set of electron retracts, um, a $500 power box voucher, um, and everything. So, and I said, are you serious? And he said, all I need to do is confirm your ticket. So I emailed him back my ticket and he said, yep, you've won it. You've won the Picaro. Oh, and, awesome. um, and yeah, it's been a crazy ride since, um, getting it here's proved <laughs> a lot more problematic yeah. um, than, than I could imagine because there's no flights from direct from Thailand at the moment where they're made. Um, so, um, so, you know, uh, I got in touch with, ian and mark at, at desert aircraft and i said by chance you don't have a container coming from calf at all do you because th- this is elite aerosports aren't far from calf is my understanding and um and you know a few phone calls and on negotiations and all that sort of stuff and and um ian and mark from desert aircraft have, have bent over backwards to get my airplane in their container to come hopefully just after christmas so I, awesome. I cannot thank those guys enough well, yeah, good bunch you of know guys. that they have absolutely really come through for me um so yes, yeah, so i'm ecstatic about that and just the fact that i feel a little bit a little bit like willie wonka's golden ticket you know one one ticket and that's all i bought
0: i'll tell you what it's do you know what color scheme because i'm looking at the website now and um the Aero Sports yep. models are great um yes what scheme
1: is it uh so that was that was the other hard part they said what scheme do you want and i said what do you mean they said you can choose your scheme um so then i had the dilemma of Coming, you know, finding six different schemes, and um, I actually actually got Ray Younger to do a few designs for me up in Darwin, yeah. and um, I ended up just going with a standard scheme. It's uh, white with red and um, black on it, so um, it's the same scheme as what um, Pablo's been flying his white, red, and blue one in in the US, but instead of blue, it's black. Um, okay. So yeah, That's so awesome. is it ecstatic and and I can't wait for it to get him. Oh, but, I'm um, excited. Like that yeah. is.
0: <laughs> it because it, 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 it's a beautiful model and and i'll tell you what Absolutely. there's a bit of value in that that prize too you know you're not wrong everything yep. got, like even just the retracks alone uh
1: um, i think it was about a eight thousand dollar u.s package so yeah you know, nothing to be sneezed at by anyway so so anyone out there that's listening enter the top gun raffle and support those guys um um yeah, support support all the sponsors and you never know your luck in the big city so, well the
0: uh what what turbine are you gonna put in that? Because it's a pretty big model, so two point two five meter wingspan,
1: two point seven yeah, meter um, long. Yeah, so I've had a I've had a uh, Jetmuts, um Merlin uh, M two hundred sitting in a box, brand new for about the last five years, I think, because it was slated for my Eurofighter, and that's how long I've had my my carf Eurofighter mm. in, in a box. Um, so I'm gonna gonna drop that donk in it and get that going. Um, as, as soon as it hits the ground actually, because it's a fairly straightforward and fairly quick build, um, by Eurofighter on the other hand is a, a full scale scheme. So, you know, and I get, I get way too pedantic about that stuff and waste waste way too much time on the yeah. fine little things. Um, jets. yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. But, um, but I, I, I've also got a mate, uh, Paul Richardson and, and he and I have been talking and I, he sort of rings true. You do have to rationalize a little bit. Um, and cull the fleet down so that you become I certainly find having a lot of aeroplanes I mean when I moved from Alice Springs a few years ago I went to Broome for a couple of years uh, for work and and I had 19, 19 models at that point um, of serviceable models and then the rest were in boxes and you just sort of get to the point where you go it's just silly it's too much and you, you're not actually proficient on flying the aircraft mm. because if you chop and change all the time um, i certainly find i'm not as proficient as i am as if i just continually fly the same model for you know six six months type thing at least um so so that's where i'm sort of getting my head a little bit to the fact that it's time to start culling a few airplanes and um, just concentrate on the favorites um so and at the moment i'm i'm working on my dirjet vampire um, which has been my favorite aircraft and i've had it for 5 years now and I still haven't built it but it's halfway halfway oh, built now so, so um, you got
0: you got plenty more coming as well uh, you, you, you yeah
1: it's it's silly it's it's, it's silly and I, I'm fortunate I'm lucky to to be in that position to, but um but it is time to start rationalizing I think so um yeah it's a couple of scale jets couple of couple of sport jets and um that that should do it but when you I don't know I've just got this emotional well erosexual attachment to them really when you look at them you think oh yeah got to get rid of that but it's, it's such it's so a nice, nice. airplane. Yeah yeah. 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 I think we all struggle with, a lot of us struggle yeah. with that, you know? So, it's that uh,
0: vision. We, we stare at these planes and you get sort of excited. I've got my, um, my Viper jet sitting in my office in sort of a back room. And every time I go yep. in there to get something off the printer, I see the jet go. Oh yeah, that looks cool.
1: I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. But um, I don't know. I, I also too get, I think sometimes too attached to them and I, I get too nervous sometimes flying them um, because I've either put so much work into them or there's so much money tied up in it. Um, and I actually don't necessarily enjoy flying it then. So I've sort of got to really get past that point sometimes with some of these models uh, and just fly it for flying sake. Yeah. I'm going to, I want to try to find
0: a psychologist that will come on the podcast to sort of give us a few tips on how to relax when we're flying yep. Bigger models, more expensive models, etc. I, I yep. was fortunate when I flew my jet. Um, I wasn't overly nervous. I'd convinced myself it's just a model plane. I know how to fly. I'd pre-planned out my maiden flight and yep. just executed. it. And I was so eager to fly it after sitting around for most of the day that I didn't have time to get nerves in a kind of way. And now, once you uh, you know have cracked that sort of thing, I can. I'm, I'm okay. And you I, can just I know, go and do it. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yep. So I'm I, you know next year I'll get it out
1: again at a jet event. and... And join in the fun, so uh, that's yeah. going to be good. Now I put, a, I, I was going to say I put a lot of work into uh, my Excalibur jet, customising it and you know glassed it and custom paint job and all that. And same thing, got a little bit nervous about it and uh, did a demo flight for one of our our um, club. I think it was the club Christmas party a couple of years ago, actually. And and as I went racing down the strip and it became airborne, I saw something go out of my, you know, left field of vision. And I said to my wife who was standing on the flight line with me, I said, What was that? She said, You lost a wheel. And I said, Oh no. Yeah. And I said, This is not going to end well because the bitumen runway, our bitumen runway is very coarse. And I could just imagine this, you know, aluminium legs gouging into the strip. And and I said to her, This is going to cartwheel the airplane. This will be the last flight of the airplane. It's not going to not gonna survive the landing. And she said, well, flight like you stole it. So, so i did i was doing you know two foot passes full noise down the strip doing maneuvers i would never normally do had an absolute ball with it came in landed it it landed like a pussycat and i just kept that one wing up in the air until it was almost at, at you know stop speed and it just dropped down gently on the gear and came to rest oh. and I got the wheel found it in the paddock we put it you know fixed the grub screw that had come loose and put it back on i never flew that model the same again i just really? still couldn't get past yes. that whole psychological barrier and, but when I was prepared to the fact that it was never going to come back, who cared? Yeah, you know? that's the um, thing. I, I I, I've
0: mentioned this before on the podcast. I've got into playing table tennis, and I'm getting better and better. And I, I literally, about you know, a couple of hours ago, I had a had a had a hit with um, a guy that I know, and I was winning one game, losing another game, losing another, winning another kind of thing. And then the final two games that I played, I smoked these two guys absolutely smoked. Because yep. you know what I said to myself stuff it just go for it you know you can hit the ball and as soon as I relax I beat one guy 11-1 and then I beat the other guy about 11-3 or something like that and so totally smoked them and it's it's just all
1: in our head half the time. It's like, that psychological wall, isn't it? You've yeah. you just got to get through I can it. get yep. a
0: Foamy and I'll do knife edge passes a metre off the deck. Yeah. But my 100cc, which is probably easier to fly than the Foamy, oh, no, I've got to keep it up at 100 foot just in case. Same, same, same. Yeah. same yep, and we, yep. all, we all do that. It's a natural thing. <laughs> But we just got to yep. b- back ourselves in, like I did when I flew my jet. I went, I know how to fly a plane. It's got ailerons, a rudder, an elevator. It's just got a different engine. And, yep. yes, don't get it too slow because, you know, they're pretty heavily loaded. So yes. that's okay. Just a couple of things I need to remember besides that. Yeah. And I, I kept on saying to myself, I I had it all pictured in my mind. I'm going to take off and I'm going to turn left and blah, blah, blah. And it was fine. It was fine. So, I'm going to get a psychologist to work out how we how we calm ourselves down, and I don't think the yeah. answer is going to be alcohol or any other medication. No. but uh, <laughs> that's right. We're not going to be doing that now. Speaking of alcohol and um, Alice Springs, um, the it's a hot place, and and <laughs> they you, go they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand because <laughs> you know, if for anybody that's listening overseas and Dave, we do have lots of listeners overseas. Uh, Alice Springs is sort of in the middle of Australia and the middle of Australia is pretty much desert and Alice Springs is sort of like this oasis in the middle of the desert. Uh, but it gets hot, doesn't it? But it also can get very cold, uh, especially Absolutely. at night. So what's it like flying in Alice Springs when you get those 40 degree days?
1: Yeah, um, it's, it is it is hot. Uh, my, my flying day, so tomorrow I'll be out of the flying field because it's going to be going to be 40 again and usually mid-summer we get up to 40 44 45 sometimes 46 i'll be out there at sort of 5 30 in the morning and i'll be home by 8 30 in the morning um it's just it gets too hot we get a lot of flies as well uh, the flies can be horrendous some years um and the the winds get up. Alice, Alice Springs is actually quite a windy place when you look at the average wind um, because there's there's nothing, you know, we don't have a lot of geographical features across the desert to slow the wind down. So it just picks up a bit of pace and um, it's on average quite windy. So um, it's got its challenges. Winter's winters the complete opposite. It, As you said, it's cold. Um, it's not uncommon to have minus two overnight in the middle of winter. So um, winter, winter flying is go out and, and um, your hand, you can't feel your hands and all that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, it, it's just complete opposite of one extreme to the other, really. Um, so it has its challenges at times. And what's what's the scene like? How many clubs are there? How many people involved? So so two clubs in Alice Springs, um, possibly, you know, probably like a lot of other places, you get a breakaway group of people that don't necessarily see eye to eye. And 20-something 20, 20 years ago that happened um so the smaller club has a has a couple of guys in it and the the club i fly at which as i said has a bitumen we have a 100 i think it's 110 meter long bitumen runway 10 meters wide uh and we have covered pit area with a tin you know big area um bit, tables underneath clubhouse barbecue um toilet shower or yeah all the mod cons um and it's quite good but um we have probably on average around about 15 guys in the club so it's fairly small numbers and being a transient town a lot of people come here for for work contracts that that aren't forever I'm I came here as I said in 2003 and I'm on a two-year rotational contract Um, it's just we we elect to stay and uh, my company's happy to have that we we find it a little bit hard to recruit people to Alice Springs at times Um, so so for me it's been it's been pretty good but um, fairly small numbers of guys and the club goes through Periods where there's not a lot going on, and suddenly there is a bit going on. So, it just depends on the group that you have at the time. Yeah, I'm having a look at the website now. Um, you're one of the instructors there. Well, well, I, I was. I need to renew my qualifications, but um, with the MAAA stuff because we couldn't get anybody up to the Northern Territory to to renew the qualifications because of COVID. But um, we're we're in the process of changing that because we've been lucky to have. Uh, Simon Pentland come across from Canberra actually who was the SFI in Canberra and uh, he's taken over from me as SFI and going to you know requalify us all and um, I've had to take a little bit of a step back because because of full-time work and three kids so um, so yeah so so yes we'll be an instructor again soon Um, gas turbine inspector and all that sort of stuff that goes along with it so um, yeah it's, it's good it's a nice club
0: like the facilities you've got.
1: I'm looking at the aerial
0: photo of the field and um, the McDonnell Rangers in the in the background. But uh, tell me about the club. You've got the asphalt runway, which looks cool. Um, yes, which not many clubs at all here in Australia have an asphalt runway. You probably count, uh, you know, two or three. I reckon. I know one's got a concrete strip up at Albury. Um, as far as asphalt goes there may be one in wa
1: yeah there's one up at east point aeromodels in darwin as well is there Um, yeah yeah yep why asphalt like how did the club come
0: about an asphalt strip because uh
1: so so the asphalt's been down for geez you're testing my history now i think the club was formed in 93 where we we are now was about 93 they moved out there Um, they used to fly at the showgrounds in town but Like you know, like everything got kicked off there because of noise and disturbing the horses and all that sort of stuff. Um, And the club was very prolific back at that time. They used to do, like most clubs, used to do a lot of work. We sold fairy floss um, in the Todd Mall. They used to clean. My understanding is they used to clean the footy lockers on a Saturday afternoon, um, change rooms and all that to raise some money. And the club raised. $20,000 I've been told and the council chipped in the other $20,000 and actually put the bitumen runway out there. Um, So yeah, $40,000 job back in the day and we actually had the runway measured up because we were trying to get, uh, it's starting to crack up in need of repair and an overlay and um, it's about $120,000 worth of bitumen now if you were to redo it in today's money yeah so, that's that's the problem but the um it is the problem and and we're sort of 15 guys out there so um in terms of getting funding for anything like that now it's incredibly hard yeah it so, is It is very difficult the um yeah but look, at least it's sort of usable at the moment but but uh, as i said i'm I, look i'm ecstatic I as i mentioned briefly before i moved to in 2015 i moved to to Broon for work um for two and a half years and there's no, there's no model aeroplane club in Broome. You, you know, um, there's no facilities. There's very, really nowhere to fly except off the beach. Um, so yeah, we, there was a little bit of turbine flying off the beach that occurred over the over the two years there. Um, a bit of sanity myself and another another era modeler that was into jets big time into jets in broom by himself so he was very ecstatic to have someone with a similar interest and yeah we did a bit of uh excalibur flying off the off cable beach really about seven yeah about 10 kilometers up up um from the town itself um totally isolated bit of beach you know not a not a soul to be seen for kilometers and um yeah had a ball flying the excalibur off the off the hard compacted sand um it's a bit un, it's a bit unnerving flying out over the ocean in case anything goes wrong. But, um, you know, you got to do what you've got to do to, to keep interested. Oh, that's so, crazy. Um, that is crazy. Yeah, we had, we had a ball. Um, but, um, yeah, to come back to a place with such good facilities, especially in the middle of Australia, which you wouldn't expect, is, is fantastic. I'm really lucky in that respect to have that from the club.
0: Yeah. Now, Alice Springs has been hosting the the Masters game sort of a bit like yes. a, a Olympics-style event for more senior people and one of the categories was
1: aero oh come modeling. on now it's over it's over 40 don't be too hard well, actually, i thought actually oh it's come like, on well 30, we're the same 35. age and, yeah, it is, yeah it is 35 but well
0: <laughs> you know apparently that's older older yeah. now uh but <laughs> that's right uh, but
1: uh, what is what does that event uh sort of include so, so the Masters Games have been held in Alice Springs for a long time. It's it's every two years, and obviously targets all your your typical sports: netball, hockey, tennis, golf, and all that sort of stuff. And um, with the with the changing of model aircraft flying to be recognised as a sport um, a few years ago, uh, versus just a hobby, uh, we were actually able to approach the Masters Games committee and and have them take us on board in, in terms of being able to offer error modeling as a sport. Um, so we ran the first, first inaugural masters games. Uh, I think it was about three years ago now, uh, the very first one. Um, and that, yeah, it, we had a fantastic turnout. Uh, we attracted error modelers from all over the, all over Australia. Um, Neil Tank and Tyson Dodd at the time came in from the M to represent and it was really good. And, um, we had a week long. It's a week, five days. I think five or six days of solid of of error modeling. Um, we we had a few disciplines. We had um, gliding. We had old timers. Um, I th- and I think we ran IMAC at the time. Um, I've slept since then, so it's a little bit hard. But mm-hmm. I think they were the three we did, and yeah, and right. we had a fantastic turnout. I think we had about forty modelers come from all over Australia from memory. Um, and great, great, fantastic camaraderie, and and you know, getting to know people. And uh, we just had a meeting on on Sunday as the club as to whether we're going to uh, run the Masters games in two thousand twenty three. Obviously, it's been cancelled the last you know last year and and uh, that sort of stuff, and from COVID, so we haven't been able to do it since we did it the first time round. Uh, but uh, we're looking at uh, the next one that'll be in twenty twenty three as to to being able to run it again um so yeah it, it, a really good opportunity for error modeling and and um getting together in a central point so to speak
0: yeah well, i remember talking to ray younger about the event
1: and he said he had some really hot days and then didn't you have some storm come through as well yeah, yeah we had the we had the the final dinner we did a, a runway dinner so we put out all the the flash tablecloths and the the good cutlery as opposed you know not no paper and plastic here and um we set everything up in the middle of the runway, and we had a belting thunderstorm come through and um, pelted every all the guests with horrendous rain and winds. And uh, but everybody, despite getting saturated and dinner sort of almost getting ruined, we ruined we persevered, and uh, everybody had a fantastic time and it was absolutely the talking point. <laughs> Era was forgotten and it was to- the talking point of the whole trip was this was this ginormous thunderstorm. Um so good good times but uh you yeah, know central Australia at its best.
0: Well I uh, I always say that life is about creating memories and there's another Indeed. memory like it was, it's when things don't go to plan that you actually enjoy and yes. stand out. So uh but yeah I, I imagine what it would have been like sitting on the runway and everybody scampering but uh, and that now is it coming back sorry is Is, the the Masters games coming back yeah is Masters game coming back to Yellow Springs
1: yeah, so as I said, the club, the club, we talked about it on Sunday at our uh, meeting, and um, the general consensus from the members is that we will probably do it again. Um, everybody had such a great time. It is a, it is a lot of work on everybody, obviously, and you know, people in clubs that do these sort of things understand it's a lot of work that goes to, goes to a group of people, and we certainly rely on uh, our friends up in up in Darwin um, and aeromodellers Northern Territory, those, uh, to support us and and help out with the event so um the one thing about the territory there, down there's 1500 kilometers between alice springs and darwin and yet um uh, certainly for me you know i make a lot of trips to darwin and those guys make a lot of trips down here purely just to fly model airplanes and be social um so despite that big distance we i sort of feel like you know they're, they're friends and brothers to be honest um so yeah it, it's good camaraderie and brings the territory together that's for sure yeah, good event. Good event. Uh, Ray Younger wanted me to come. He said,
0: "Oh, we'll come to the next one. And I'll bring the planes down, and you can fly yeah. someone." And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll make a B line. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, I said, "Oh, I just like the idea of flying gliders there. I reckon the thermals be awesome. You never get the thing down. The thermals
1: are pretty good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now yep.
0: I, I, I said earlier that I wanted to talk a bit about your air traffic control work. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. How? Uh, I think it's a big challenging role. I, like in the past year, you probably haven't had a lot of uh, uh, traffic coming in and out, um, but you're sorry, you did because you had a lot of planes, airline planes being stored out there at the airport, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so first of all, we, we actually didn't get really much of a turndown in traffic with COVID. Um, basically all we really lost was a few uh, 737 flights from the capital cities as people went into lockdown. Um, the, the bulk of the flying around here is um, RFDS and charter and, and all that sort of stuff. There's uh, seven PC 12s here for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. Um, and they are busy bees. They're in and out all day and all night um, and, and gen- general charter going out to all the indigenous communities. So the the work didn't really knock off, but then, as you said, added to that is the Asia Pacific aircraft storage facility, literally across the other side of the runway from the control tower. And, at the moment, we have I think there's around about 140 aircraft there in storage. Um, I think we got I think they got up to about 150 odd. Um, there's been some leave of recent, but then you know, last week we had two more 73s arrive for storage. Um, so it, it's still definitely going going well. They're they're still grading areas and looking to expand um, to the to stage five, um, which will I think double the capacity of what's currently there. So in terms of you know COVID um, and and aircraft layup, we're certainly not out of this yet um, for the foreseeable future. Unfortunately, for some of these uh, international carriers. Yeah, that is true. Um, and I've
0: always heard stories how you have to have a certain a sort of particular personality trait to really excel at um, being in you know a a air traffic controller because you'd have to sort of stay very very calm and and you know the concentration would have to be high
1: yes Is, is that correct like how hard a job is it um it's it's a challenging job uh i guess i guess people have a perception you know some people have a perception that air traffic controllers, the guys stand out there with the wands. That is not us, by the way. Hmm. Um, <laughs> that, uh, But um, for most people, you know, I, I do remember when I started air traffic control, you know, so, uh, there was a lot of references to to Pushing Tin back then, you know, uh, the movie. Hmm. And uh, so I actually had to go and watch Pushing Tin because I'd never actually seen it. And I can tell you, it's nothing like that. <laughs> um, but um, a lot of people, I guess, don't, you know, certainly don't understand Realise, uh, Alice Springs, we we don't have a radar, so we do what's called procedural air traffic control, which is basically air traffic control uh, by a, a big set of rules, um, and it's all in, it's basically all in your head. For one of a better way of explaining it, um, we have strips that that um, we write all the information on and get moved around, but for the 99% of the job, it's all three-dimensional picture in your head of where everyone is and what they're doing. Um, and we you know, we mix 737s or seven, you know, even even A380s with Joe Blogs in his little Cessna 172 that, that's coming in from a station. Um, all without radar just by talking to people on the radio and constantly updating where their distance and their height and their, their angle from uh, angular track from the aerodrome and it's it's yeah, a three-dimensional chess game in your head. Uh, along with time so you know we can talk to an a737 for 10 minutes and yet we were talking to the Cessna for 12 minutes before that and they're both at Alice Springs at the same time and that's something that a lot of people can't quite get their head around and certainly when we we, you know pre-COVID when we'd have the visitors come to the tower and have a look they'd go first question is where's your radar and you say you don't have one and they're like Oh my god how do you do that Um, so it does take a certain type of of brain to do it Um, certainly at Alice Springs you know there are other other places like Melbourne and Sydney and all that you know they have radars and they have screens and they have you know a lot of people say oh that must be pretty quiet at Alice and it's actually not it's one of the hardest control towers to get qualified in Australia i've you know the training period at the moment for a qualified air traffic controller from another location is seven months training in alice springs um, which is about 680 hours of training um and that's a minimum you know and on average we find people take a bit longer than that because there's just so much to to learn and do and especially when you get weather and aircraft start diverting and and um you've got no visual reference as to what's going on until you till they're about 10 you know five ten miles from the aerodrome and you can see them so yeah, it does take a certain personality. Um, that's for sure. Um, I'm, I'm pretty introverted, to be honest. Um, people wouldn't think that at work because I'm very comfortable in my surrounds. But you know, take me out and put me in a social situation, I, I'm very introverted. But at work, I'm probably a little bit extroverted because you, you sort of it. I don't guess there's a delineation between that world and and the real world in terms of that sort of stuff. But um, it's certainly a job that. You know there's there's a lot resting on your shoulders because not only do we do air traffic control 50 percent of our job is search and rescue so if somebody says they've got a problem or something's wrong we've got to deal with that as well as deal with separating airplanes and making sure that you know nobody else is going to run into each other and 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 cause another issue so so yes there's a there's a lot of lot of things to think about and our our rule sets are you know there's a there's hundred type hundred rules and Five different ways of doing the same scenario, so it, it does create a lot of complexity. But I find, you know, I find work pretty calming in a way because I manage my I manage my environment, I manage my stress levels, I manage what's happening by controlling aircraft. I find it more stressful with, you know, th- when I had my three young kids at home and they wouldn't listen to me. That that did my uh-huh. head in more than more than work, yeah. um, because work's very structured and and you have to run it that way. You actually. And that's why we are controllers you have to get in there and take charge and tell people what to do and and you know trust that they will be doing what you what you asked them to or told them to do yeah i'm just
0: looking at the runway it's uh two and a half meters long sorry two and a half k's long isn't it
1: 2438 meters yes and how does the a380 get in there plenty of room um quite well because because they come empty so um you know, if, if we we are an alternate, L. Springs is an alternate for for pretty much every airline that's flying across the top of the country. Um, if there's a if there's a reason they need to come in, we've never had an A380 come in fully loaded, but that would be interesting. Um, and certainly they would be able to land. But getting them out would be a different story if they were if they were fully loaded. Um, you know, f- full of fuel and full of luggage and full of people would be a different matter. Um, but certainly when they're empty, there geez, they're airborne by thirds of the way down the runway it's mm-hmm. not a problem for them whatsoever yeah I just looking um, at the photos with uh, all the pl- planes parked up uh... yeah it's 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 sort of good and it's a blessing and a curse there's a lot of people out of you know it's a, i look at it and see a lot of jobs especially because of my connection at answer knowing what it means to see airplanes on the ground like that, that there's a lot of people that have lost their livelihood um it's pretty sad in my respect but you know, nice to see some different aeroplanes, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> they're, all, they're all out in the dirt, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Um, they. What they did was they excavated, um, you know, quite a lot of dirt. They backfilled it with uh, rock and stabilised it and all that sort of stuff so that the weight of the aircraft wouldn't compress the dirt, compacted it all, and, um, yeah, all the fingers that the aircraft are sitting on, that's all, all a lot of serious earthworks to... To do that so then just have them sitting on the dirt again <laughs> so yeah but they're all everything's taped up and everything's bagged up and and all every every orifice is sealed so to speak um to keep to keep the the dust and the dirt out um and they go through quite a an intensive you know engineering to to bring back to life um before they fly out
0: yeah that is true my brother's a pilot for virgin and had to test fly a couple of uh planes that uh were put back into service after being in storage for a while. Yep. And, um, yep. Yep. A few alarms went off but uh nothing major. <laughs> that's quick, nothing major. That's quick it. circuit that's bring it. it back in and go, "Oh yeah, this light went off." I don't know, something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I love I love my job. It's 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 absolutely a fantastic job. Anyone we are recruiting at the moment, so anyone that's got a, a bit of an interest, go and have a crack and I I don't know what type of personality it takes. I, we've I certainly work with a whole variety of different people that, you know, um, complete spectrum, but um, I, I, I know, as I said, there's just some intrinsic qualities, I guess, that in exist in people, and um, we we find those type of people, and um, yeah, it's an extremely rewarding job. No two days the same, you know. Um, so yeah, couldn't couldn't recommend it highly enough. Well,
0: someone has to do the job, and we're glad you're doing the job. If I did, <laughs> I'd probably get a bit confused. But nah. uh, well done. Now back to aeromodeling. Um, yes. What models are on your bucket list?
1: Um, I only have one. And as I said, I really should rationalize my fleet and sell most of my airplanes. A Mybo A10. That, that to me is my is my ultimate, ultimate airplane. Um, I do struggle with the fact, though, that, you know, um, even though I'm an air traffic controller and we, we get paid well, um, I do struggle with the fact of rolling up, you know, thirty five forty thousand dollars $40,000 in one model. Um so but yeah if if you said to me if I had unlimited funds and and that what would be the first thing I'd buy that it would be the Mybo a ten yeah. Yeah, you are a diehard jet guy now, aren't you? That's it. I am. I am. There's no uh, I, there's no going back. I even looked I even sort of half considered looking at a calf P fifty one the other day and I thought, oh, the only way I can do that to sound nice is to put a, a coal motor in it and, and yes. there, that's a lot of money again. Ooh, and yeah uh and a heavy a heavily loaded airframe again and um all that sort of stuff. But um yeah, for me for me Kero's where it's at. Um or jet, jet A one. <laughs> so those colms are nice though. I saw uh did you see Ellie Machinchi's? uh uh
0: got one of those, one of the calf's uh, yes. Mustangs with the comb in it and oh yeah.
1: That's one of the favorite sounding motors, but uh absolutely beautiful, beautiful. Yep. Yep. Not cheap so, either. But uh
0: No, no. You gotta pay for quality, don't you?
1: You do, you do. Um, and to me it's it's not only quality, it's reliability. Um, you know, I was very tempted back in the warbird days and, and i still am a warbird fan but you know the dream aircraft back then was a was a, a calf p-47 with a, a Moky radial in it you know mm. and um i remember talking to richo at you know from um xda and richo's um you know jr and all that sort of stuff these days and and he said oh you know if you if you want to constantly be tinkering and all that by a radial and i thought yeah the, the one of the things i really love about turbines is put fuel in it go fly yeah, um it, it just it they just work um you know 99.9 percent of the time and and there's no real you know not no, no, having to lubricate valves and hope push rods don't bend and all that sort of stuff and and lose your model to um to an engine out because for me here in Alice Springs the as I said the terrain around the runway is not forgiving um and people that people that have engine outs if you don't make the strip you're you're repairing your model and certainly ripping retracts out and all that sort of stuff so uh, it, it's that extra level of of uh, stress that if i was say somewhere like adelaide or barossa or somewhere like that that um which i just drove down and did some jet flying there with those guys and it was fabulous but um you've got all that area that if you need to put it down you need to put it down and you're probably going to have a serviceable model after that that you can fix your problem and go again but here at alice it's not not the case at all that is true that is true well uh it brings us to the
0: end um and it's my final question it's a question that everybody can't wait to hear the answer and it's the one that stumps people more than, than 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 others generally and that is what has been your
1: favorite model yeah that is that is a tough tough question um I think I think my all-time favourite model has been uh, a Sebart Avanti XS, which is really? which is a medium-sized medium-sized jet, in, in t- well smaller type jet. It's only a one point seven or one point eight metre wingspan, and and I had a um, Jet Central uh, Rabbit ninety in it. Um, and for me, it was it was, and I sold that, and it's probably the the model I most re- regret selling um, because. In hindsight, it was the type of model that I can just put in the car, go to the field, fuel up, and fly. And it, it suits my strip. Um, I, I had an Ultra Flash, for example, that I sold after about ten flights on it because I just struggled to get it on the strip and be able to pull it up in the length of the strip. Whereas that of anti Excess, it, it it was just a silly yeah, you know, simple sports model, but it it flew the nicest, one of the nicest flying models I've ever had, and just was easy to get on and off my strip. And for me. It resulted in less stress and more enjoyment flying. Um, and and you know, second model after that is my is my current uh, X-ray younger, I should say, mm-hmm. calf uh, extra 330 SC 2.6 meter, um, beautiful model to fly an easy model to fly. Um, so and and you know, just go out and bash some iMac with it. And it it's really good. So so yeah, they're, they're yeah, very excess. I would have to say, and it's a shame. Shame they there were only a couple imported into Australia because I'd buy another one tomorrow if they were available. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was it was a plane that was never really picked up and promoted, unfortunately.
0: Well, um, see, so you've done what a lot of people do. You give me the one, and then you throw in a number two as well. But the krill, that krill is a beautiful krill, uh, and krill krill make a beautiful model uh, as well. But uh, but um, yeah, some, some uh, it is uh, with with what you've talked about with your hangar. Yeah, I'd find it hard to pick a favorite model, but it, it's interesting how often people will pick that model that is the one that doesn't provide a lot of stress and just that the old faithful that you know you can yeah, take out faithful. and you know yep. what's going to happen and you know it's not going to bite you in any way. Uh, you've got to be happy with that. So um, yeah, absolutely, that's excellent. Well, Dave, it's been a pleasure to get to know you. Uh Thank you're the you. Fir- Andrew, you too. You're the first guest from Alice Springs, and off air you said to me. Uh, Oh, I don't know whether anybody's going to be interested in what I have to say, and I, I know I've really enjoyed the last uh, hour and twenty-four minutes having a chat with you, and we could probably keep
1: on going. I told you it'd be <laughs> like this, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. Thank you very much. So, uh, and yeah, I hope someone finds it interesting. But yeah, don't give up. I guess is is the is my theme. You know, you you'll find your way eventually, and you, and it's such a great such a great hobby. Um, it's kept me out of the pub. It's you know, you can't afford drugs and all the rest of the stuff. So um as they say but um but i've made some the friends i've made through aeromodelling is probably is probably actually bigger to me than flying airplanes um so um i've got friends all around australia now that i've made through aeromodelling that i keep in contact with um and to me that's that's far more important than you know just an airplane flogging around flying field 100 percent. that is very very true dave
0: thanks once again no thank you andrew been pleasure about to leave already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast, done and dusted. Big thank you to Dave Goods for joining me all the way from alice Springs, even though it's not too hard since we recorded over the internet. But uh it was really good to, to meet Dave and to, to hear his story and uh uh, had a fair bit in common with Dave besides being the same age, so growing up in the same era, we could relate to a lot of things that he was talking about, and uh, brought back a lot of fond memories of my youth back in the 80s, going to hobby stores, etc. So, I really, really enjoyed that chat with Dave, and um, I'd love to get to Alice Springs. The, the, the flying field looks awesome, uh, asphalt runway, in a nice location. Haven't really ventured to Central Australia, flown over it many times, and looked down and said, "That's amazing." Uh, but uh, it is on the bucket list to get to Central Australia and if you're listening from overseas, go and have a look up Alice Springs and see where it is and you'll see it's in the middle of Australia. As the dog starts to bark now, so my son's been yelling in the background, now the dog's barking, that's my time to go. One more episode for the year, stay tuned for next next the next episode, it's going to be a doozy. We'll do a bit of a recap of the year and of course have a special guest. And don't forget, subscribe to the Flat Out RC podcast, the YouTube channel, the Facebook page, the Instagram page, and I'll be back next week. This is what we